Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 3, Episode 2, The Shore by Katie Rundy. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Uh, it's your boy Shreds. Shreds is back. We are here. We are mixing things up. I think the fourth episode of the season, or third, next... This is so confusing. This is the pre-taped call-in show. You remember that show, that Sketch from Mr. Yes. Show? Where we've done things out of order. It all makes sense. Nobody cares. I'm overthinking it. But we swapped the second and the fourth book, even though the third book is one that we have not announced. It's going to be a bonus thing. That It's just a surprise. None of this makes sense. Nobody cares. You're over-explaining it. Today is The Shore by Katie Rundy. The Shore by Katie Rundy. Next week, in our quote-unquote off week, we have an interview with Katie Randy, which we already recorded. So there is a chance that you hear us talk about something here, and then we hear we you hear us talk about it again with her next week. But that's life, baby. Yeah, that's life, baby. Uh, so the short by Katie Randy about what is or shreds. So sorry, shreds. <laughs> what is this book about? Just get my name right, man. Shreds. What is this book about? It is a book about a family that lives uh, in a town called Seaside, which is on the Jersey Shore. Hell yeah. And they are uh, dealing with the tragedy of the father has, what I, is it? Glasto, glasto. Uh, I, I think it's down. glioblastoma. GBM is glioblastoma. Booyah. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and and the, it's the family dealing with the circumstances around that inevitable death and the way that each member of the family deals with it emotionally yeah. in this environment of the of Beachtown. Mm-hmm. Post, I mean, it's not current day, but it's kind of current. It's 2019. So it's 2019. She's pizza girling it. Yeah. But it's post Hurricane Sandy, which plays into it a little bit. Again, it fits into our internet module because these the daughters, the family is two is father, mother, two young daughters, sixteen and eighteen or seventeen? Seventeen, 17 and sixteen. Seventeen and eighteen, I think. Seventeen and sixteen. Evie's sixteen, Liz seventeen. Okay. That's what I have in my notes. Katie, if you're listening and I got that wrong, I'm so sorry. What are you damning? Cat chewing loud? Yeah. Fox having dinner right now. Loud, loud ass chewing cat. Late dinner. He's like he's got the Spanish lifestyle going. The girls are extremely online, and the mom is also kind of online in a way that's different from A Touch of Jen, but still fitting within our internet module in terms of living life and trying to find answers and find something online. Finding, uh, yeah, community online, right? Something that's really important that we uh, should talk about with regards to the internet is that the internet is where a lot of people find their people, Um, whether that be like, you know, I, I know like Tumblr... Before they got rid of the porn and everyone stopped using Tumblr. Apparently porn's back. On Tumblr. Well, people have figured out a way to hide it. I'm not, yeah, I'm not on Tumblr anyway. I'm not on Tumblr but, anyway. This is what I hear secondhand. But, so, so, Tumblr was, like, an incredibly important uh, engine for, like, various communities, including, like, LGBTQ communities, mm-hmm. where a lot of people, like, found their tribe on the internet. And, and you know, message boards can function like that a, a lot, too. I read a book by uh, Jamie Bartlett called, I think it's called The Dark Net, and it was, like, about these kind of online communities um, that, that create a space where people can go to talk about various things. Like, in that book, there's, like, a pro-anorexia community where people who are anorexic and, like, don't think of it as a disease want to get together and they, like, talk about their their various things. Um, and there's all sorts of... The, the internet is, like, all of these different bubbles 
that cross pollinate and whatever. But like, if there's something that you're concerned about or something that you're dealing with or something that you uh, need help with, and I think a lot of this has been relocated into one centralized place, which is Reddit, but um, you can find it on the internet. And so the mother, Margot, in this finds her internet community among GBM wives, which are the wives of men who are suffering from this glioblastoma. Is this a disease, and I don't know, I might have missed it in the book or I might just not know it, is this a disease that primarily affects men or is this just a, a sub-community where wives dealing with... I think it's just a sub-community okay. of, of wives. I don't think, I, I don't know the gender disparity, but it, okay. it's a, you know, brain disease. Right. I think what's interesting about this to compare it to A Touch of Jen, which was our last episode, which we talked about this with Katie a little bit in the interview, is that like this is a very different, like what this book does that is different from A Touch of Jen is that it's all millennials who have grown up with the internet and Margot is a different kind of, this. there's no millennials in this. This is like Gen Z and... Margot's Gen X. Gen X, right? Yeah. So yeah. So I think it's it's different views of the internet and like they use it differently than Remy and Alicia did in A Touch of Jen, but it's still they're still finding the same, like you were saying, the community and finding answers and finding what they're looking for. A kind of intimacy that often only exists on the, on the internet. Like there's a, a large section of the book that is this ancient exchange of emails that's been saved between Margot and her husband. From like 25 years earlier. And her husband Brian from the mid-90s. I think it's like 1996 or something like that. Um, which is like uh, reminiscent of of either or and uh, yeah. the, the, the way that um, – Celine exchanges emails with with Ivan, right? They, they, so there are email is functioning essentially the way that like exchanging letters would function like a Jane Austen sure. novel. So the technology hasn't changed that much, except for, well, I don't know. How would you say that email is different from letters? I just reread the instructions, and that has emails in it as well. And I think one of the things that I mentioned in an email, the, sort of the meta textual element, is the PS of it all, right? Like, you know, I think it's Jelly is writing an email or something, and she's like. I'm getting yelled at to not write PS because like we can yeah, just copy yeah, yeah, and paste. Yeah, yeah, like sure. there's, I think the function, I think that's the difference between letters and email. It's the it's the ease at which, because I think email and just like this this novel, goes from different ways of using internet in the '90s versus today. I think email is that sort of intermediary step between letters, where like, you know, you write a thing, you send it across like the Pony Express, and you have to wait like weeks to hear a response or right. whatever. You might never get a response. Email is like instantaneous, but people aren't like. Remember in, in the Elephantman books, and like I think I don't remember if it was both or just you know the idiot, but they're like, oh, I'm not going to check my email this summer. Like I came back and I had like five emails. It's like, well, <laughs> so like there's like if this, I didn't check my email for a summer, I would have like 700 emails waiting for me, and most of them would be not relevant to my right. life at all. But there's like I think the the difference between letters and emails is that it's the same way like emails are this transitionary period where like it could be instantaneous, but it's still usually like if i send you an email to me in 2022 it's less i'm not expecting an immediate response if i want an immediate response i will text or i guess even more urgently call or whatever mm -hmm. but i think that there is like it's the the rapid acceleration of communication so it's just yeah and and there I think, is i think they function in the same way i think it's just the way that the message is conveyed is just it allows and affords different right so, so but similar to letters um you can can convey an intimacy in writing 
Yeah. It's a different kind of intimacy than the intimacy of being in person because it's the intimacy of you sitting down and having a lot of time to organize your thoughts and mm-hmm. express them in the best possible way and send them. And I think oftentimes we send more private things than we might be willing to say in person sure. o- over email or we, you know, in the 90s, maybe we did. Do you think going from letters to emails made things more like, easier or harder to share private? Well, that's more. I think there's a lot more pressure on it because it's like essentially with letters – you can't read some, leave someone on read, right? Whereas like with emails, it's like if I email someone something and they don't get back to me, it's like I know that you got that fucking email. Right. But if, if you send a letter, it's like, I don't know, that could be six weeks before it gets right. to you. And there's also like to, to take that to the nth degree of like the text, like you can like psychopaths will have read receipts on their text. It's like I literally, like in Instagram too, it's like I know you saw this. My phone says red, and you might be like, oh, I just opened it and didn't read it. It's like, but you still had it in front of your eyes. And so there's like even more. And so that email is, yes, scary. Not yeah, scary. It sucks. Yeah. But it, I, I think like back, tracing this back to the text, there is a way in which, okay, so the children, Evie and Liz, Liz mm-hmm. find an old disc filled with their parents' emails. Right. And they read them. Do you think that we didn't talk about this with Katie? Do you think that's like an invasion of privacy? Oh God, I would never. If I found even even if I found my parent a, a disc, if I found a box of my parents' correspondence yeah. right now, I would not read it. And I don't know if this. I can cut this out if this is too personal. Your parents are both gone, so mm-hmm. like you know they can still talk to their mom. They still have relationships. They still are able yeah. to, to learn from their mom and hear her stories. But you're saying that like even. There's no. I would be t- mortified. I would. Ne- I would not. No, I wouldn't do it. Would I would. You, do you think it's a breach of trust, or you just like it's? If they wanted you to know these things, you would already know them. That, and it would. It would feel. I. I would be afraid of what I'd run into in them. Like I'd be afraid of like like what if like have you read like James Joyce's letters to Nora? Mm-mm. They're like. My darling, what I want most is for you to fart on my face. Really? Yeah, it's it's insane. I don't know why I was doing that. James Joyce, obviously Irish. <laughs> I don't know why I was doing whatever whatever that voice was that I was doing. I'm not going to try to do an Irish accent right now. I think you were trying to just distance yourself from but, the uh, horrors of that letter. Yeah. And, no, it's like so much about like fart fetishes and stuff like that. And like if I – yeah, no. If I found a box of that stuff, I would not – like I'll, I'll give you an example actually, which is like about – Six months before he passed away, I found, for some reason, it was in my bedroom. I don't know what it was doing there. I found this, like, folder full of papers that showed that, like, my dad had gotten divorced from someone before he was married to my mom. Okay. I never brought that shit up to him. Right. Like, like, we we never talked about it. It's not something that I ever... I think there's just a risk that, like, even if you don't have a great relationship with a parent or someone that you're, like, you you could ostensibly learn more about, I think there's more of a risk of, like tarnishing what you know about them than enhancing the relationship, right? Like, yeah. And I think what they learn from these letters primarily... I don't really care about that, though. I don't care about tarnishing. No. I, I, I don't want... Because I don't, you know, whatever. I don't care. But, like, I, I don't... Yeah, I would be mortified if, if there were something. I don't know. Well, the thing they learn that Evie and Liz learn from the letters primarily is that their dad and their mom broke up, and then he started seeing someone else, and then they got back together. But, like, we we also learn that in the text through Margot's post on the message board. Because, like, they're learning it, like, I don't know, I don't know the timeline, a couple days maybe before? Because she, like, there's, like, this, you know, in the forum, the GBM Wives forum, 
there's like a share a time when your husband wasn't perfect before the illness and she's like this wasn't the first time he left me like that's the end of her post and then before she elaborates on that they learn via the email but like they would have learned that anyway right so uh, but that's a we i think we have a different understanding of what's meant within that this isn't the first time that he's left me and when she says this isn't the first time that he's left me i think she's talking specifically about when when he yeah so yeah okay yeah sorry when he leaves her during hurricane sand right but it's with the same woman yeah but he doesn't he doesn't leave her he like emotionally Emotionally leaves leaves her yes sorry sorry, yes but no i we're on the same page i just i i miss not phrased but i mistimelined it that he leaves her in while they're dating in college or whatever that they they're from the same town. Or she but, leaves him. I don't know that we know. I, well, they I don't, break up. I don't, yeah, they break up. And they both sort of start seeing other guys. And she's like, well, I've kind of been not seeing guys that I really like because I keep, you know, I'm afraid to lose you, basically. He's like, well, I found this great girl. And then they get back together. And then after Sandy, when he's just stressed by all the work and all the every, all the pressures, he like starts up with like basically an emotional affair with this girl he was dating in college that she she knows about via the emails. So that's the yeah, first time. Yeah. yeah, and she spies on his text messages and things like that, which is kind of interesting. And he doesn't try to hide anything because he doesn't really think that he's doing anything wrong. Well, I think, I, I think it's like she calls him out on it. And then yeah. once he knows, she knows, he's like, I don't give a shit. Then like, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a real, that- real aggressive move. Right. Like a real aggressive move that, that exists in a depressive space. Like in a, in a, everything's fucked anyway. Why don't I just, like, nuke this? Right. And I do think that, you know, there's different versions of strength in the story. But I think the strongest, the the, the example where Margot shows the most strength is when she just says, enough. Yeah. Well, because right. she, like, yeah, yeah. They, they have, like, a couple, she recalls a couple times where they had sex, like, just, because she's like, I just need either to get off or just, like, try to reclaim this marriage or whatever. And then at one point, she's just like, enough. This is, it. and it's like, all right. And yeah. it's like, it's, you know, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to Well, the enough cry. also, the, the enough is her showing that she cares yeah. enough to, to, like, step in and stop that. It's saying, like, like I'm not going to put up with this anymore because I respect our relationship too much. Um, and the interesting thing about this is that... The kids don't get that story. They don't. They don't ever learn about that. Part. Yeah, they just know about his college girlfriend, basically. And, and, and they they know that they broke up and in, in the through via the emails and they and they because important they were both alive when this was going on. Mm-hmm. And they they don't know that Hurricane Sandy has anything to do with it. They don't know that that's what she's referring to when she says he left me before. It's interesting because it like rescues him a little bit maybe because when they're talking about it they're like we know dad's not a creep we know that he's a good guy we we think that there's probably some reasoning behind all of this so through the absences of of narrative in the internet through the emails and stuff like that the kids get to put together their own story of what they think happened yeah. during this thing and like that's an interesting thing about like the email aspect of this which is like and and the the message board aspect of it which is like all the internet stuff is necessarily incomplete because what we present on the internet is a necessarily incomplete picture of who right. we are as human beings and i think what's interesting and different and i think this will be something worth tracking through the season is that like the different like there was that meme a couple of years ago where it's like me on the four different like me on facebook me on twitter me on linkedin me on whatever and just like the different the different ways you present yourself depending on the medium. And so like Instagram, like last week or last episode with Touch of Jen, it's like this very idealistic, like, look at my life. I'm so hashtag blessed or whatever. But on the, the GBM wives, it might be 
more vulnerable than you actually are. Like it's it's incomplete, like you were saying, but it's a different kind of incomplete. Yeah, because they're only posting the part of themselves that's like full of uh, terrible grief and 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 like the parts of themselves that are like. I know that you guys will understand this because you're also going through this. So here's something that's going on in, in, in my life. They're not posting the stuff where it's like, oh, s- sat down with my daughters and laughed at Mr. Bean. Right. But I also think that part of the difference in the the ways that they're incomplete is the intended audience, right? It's like I'm writing an email. Like when you're writing this email, I think we maybe talk about this in the interview or maybe it's this episode. I'm already like it's time is blurring in my brain already. Uh, but like you write the email, you never think anybody else is going to read it other than Brian, right? Yeah. Whereas with totally. the GBM wives, you you think that the only people who are ever going to read it are these other women who are going through the same thing, even though you don't know that for sure because you're putting private thoughts on the public internet yeah. and also you don't know who's behind those handles. And, but there's an assumption of safety within a community yeah. because of the way that communities function, right? Let's look at this in, in a... Like, let's just do a bare-bones uh, run-through of the plot here. So Brian has got the GBM brain tumor. Yeah. Margot runs their bed-and-breakfast sort of rental business, E&E Properties. They have a couple different properties that they rent out. E&E named after Elizabeth and Evelyn, I think is her full name. Sure. The daughters. Liz, the older daughter, works at a place called Sun and Shade on the boardwalk that does, like, umbrella rentals and sells sunglasses and whatever. You know, classic boardwalk job. Which is like some of the some of the really uh, fun parts of the book are the really really lived in moments that have a specificity to them. Uh, like one of the things is like Liz um, with the sort of like jabbing the umbrellas into the ground yeah. and 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 that stuff. Because I don't know if you know this, but one of the most dangerous things on the beach is rogue umbrellas. There are so many beach umbrella injuries at the beach every year. Really? Yeah, because think of like the wind. People don't know how to put umbrellas in the ground and the wind picks that shit up and impales people. Well, there was kind of like a karate kid moment in here where she's like getting hired and he's like, do it again. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. So she she works at that place. And she's like a manager or like, a, like she's, you know, in, in terms of the like high school job, retail experience, whatever. She's a manager there. She's got a crush on this guy, Gabe, who's a little bit older than her. And he's from Brooklyn, and he's this cool out-of-town kid who's there for the summer. Plays in a band. Real Brooklyn kid. Yeah. Kind of sucks, but we'll get back to Gabe. Yeah. Then there's Evie, the younger daughter, who works at a candy store on the boardwalk. Uh, She starts – she's extremely online. I I feel like Liz is kind of like a – lives online but could kind of take it or leave it. It feels like Evie is more online, more of an internet child. Well, here's here's a – here's a – theory about that which is that um evie is bisexual i think like i was saying before about tumblr like i think the internet is a uh was for a long time a safe haven for communities of marginalized people and so it's plausible that evie found community yeah even though she seems pretty grounded and has you know friends and stuff evie being extremely online i think like could you could argue is like a function of her being a member of a marginalized community, although she seems to uh, have a lot of support around her parents that support her. Uh, Great, a pretty good relationship with her sister, I think. Yeah, yeah. And especially, like, what I liked about their relationship, like, I think Abby's my favorite character in the book, but I liked about their thing is that they're both going through this immeasurably tough thing that, like, tough for anybody, but they're trying to give each other a sort of normal life and a sort of normal summer. 
Like, you go out tonight, I'll stay home with mom. To the point where they're lying to, at least Liz is lying to, like, Gabe, for for instance. Like, she does not let Gabe know that she's going through this stuff. Because, maybe because she thinks that he's going to run away, but I think it's stated pretty explicitly in the book that she just wanted him to give her a normal summer. Yeah. He was her you know, escape valve from her family. Which I think that's like, it's easy in a way to say that he is kind of a douchebag and he treats her poorly. And especially at the end when his, his bandmates and friends come to town, but also like she, what she does may be worse or if not, it's not better. No, I don't, I don't, I don't blame her for not telling him. I don't think that's not, that's not necessarily any of his business. He doesn't, he doesn't get to know details like that about her. And I think that his, I don't I don't like Gabe, but like I I don't think he's that bad of a guy. He's just like he's kind of shitty to her one time. I think it's more like he's shitty via inaction where he doesn't like stand up for her like, hey, guys, like, you know, be nice. Yeah, because he's intimidated by his friends or they're like because they come in because at the end they come in and they're just like talking about how much the town sucks, how it's like garbagey and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I got to go. Yeah, which is like. You're, again, you're from Brooklyn. What is, like, what do you... I guess there's a lot of culture in Brooklyn, but, like, there's a lot of culture everywhere. I was also thinking, like, do people really, like, shit on the shore like that? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Totally. Especially, like, a place like Seaside. Kind of the loud part of the shore. It's like the the boardwalk the with, the, with the balloons and rides and games and stuff. It's not It's not like a, you know... Well, there was a... There was a again, like, I, I grew up... I've always lived, like, for the most part, an hour from the shore, but I've never grown up on the shore. But I think there was, like, a descriptor. I think it's that Liz describes at one point where she's like, it smells like morning on the boardwalk, which is, like, the salt air and the smell of unpicked up, uncollected garbage. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's kind of gross. Like, <laughs> it's the same with, like, when I walk around New York. Like, New York is great, but it's also, like, this just smells like piss and trash everywhere you go. It's like, I, it, you get used to it. Yeah, I don't really like New York. But, yeah. Anyway, Evie works at the candy store. Yeah. Starts the novel by impersonating a wife on the form that her mom uses, which is like, okay. Has a crush on her friend Olivia, who she's not super close with, but, like, they're in a relationship they at the end. They seem pretty close, yeah. I think they start out, like, it's, you know, whatever. But she's sort of jealous of Olivia. I made it early on because Olivia's parents split, and Olivia used that as an opportunity to, like, make herself better and, like, more cultured and blah, 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 blah. Okay. And that's kind of, like what it is it's two girls two daughters both with paramours all right and uh the mom and then you know the dad has the 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 novel is told through perspectives like this is an evie section this is a liz section this is a margo section whatever and the dad has the first and the last and and but none of those are first person perspectives they're right. all they're all close third yeah right so we're always we're always we're not quite omniscient but we're always moving uh between these characters who are like the focal point of each individual chapter, even though multiple characters exist in each person's individual located chapter. And I think what, so there's a thing about like, not necessarily biopics, but also biopics, but also like things based on true story, like American Sniper, Chris Kyle. There's also like here where I was thought about American Sniper Chris Kyle a lot while I was reading this book. I thought this could be the American Sniper Chris Kyle, the American Sniper story while reading it. But you know how like in movies like that where it's like 1994, 1997, January 11th, 2000, 9-11 a.m. or whatever, just like, oh, so something specific is going to happen here. And so I didn't I'm not bringing it up here to like make fun of the book, but 
when it got to the Evie and Liz section together, I was like, oh, this is where the dad dies. Yeah. Which I think is a nice signifier. Yeah. I think it works well. But it's like, it's a it's a tell in a way that like, this is right. different, this, this is meaningful, this is special. Yeah, I wouldn't think that you were making fun of the book by that. It's like a very, I think, a very like purposeful, structured, uh, structured emotional signifier to say like, okay, in these chapters they're apart. And then in this one, we, we view them as a unit because they're suffering in the same in a way that nobody else around them is suffering because nobody else knows their particular the particular thing that's going on with them in this moment. And I think it maybe just because it's on my brain because I just reread it, but I feel like the way that Brian dies in this story is the way that spoiler for the instructions that we've uh, yeah, already covered, the way that Benji dies. It's just like a very here just Brian dies quietly, alone in his bed on a summer night when the girls are sixteen and seventeen, while they're with their mom in the kitchen eating takeout fried shrimp. It's just like that's it. Like it's almost like so understated and matter of fact that like if you are just like reading too quickly you might skip it mm-hmm. but like in the instructions just like you know a left brings down the chair and blah 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 and benji was gone it's just like wait what well because it's always going to happen though in this yeah. book like this book is not structured in a way where it's like from the very beginning you're not like i'm holding out for a miracle cure right like that's right. not happening that's not something that's that's happening with this book it's like from the beginning you know it's like this grief is the grief of knowing yeah, it's not it's not the sadness that he died; it's that he's dying. Yeah, yeah. right. Which is a uh, in a lot of ways a a deeper, harder to deal with sadness because it's especially in this case because you're dealing with someone who is not the person that they remember him being. He's being cruel to people. He's he's in the way that this affects um, the way he acts on a day to day basis. Sometimes he's just very mean out of nowhere. He calls the he calls Margo names and things like that in a way that it can be hard to deal with, I imagine, especially if you're a daughter or, you know, a child. And I think in a way, and I don't know if it's, because I know in the, in the acknowledgements, Katie Rennie talks about, you know, that she went through something like this, but even though this is not necessarily like a self-help book is the wrong phrase, but it's not like you would read this, but I think this could help people going through grief because I think the way that like Evie impersonating a GBM wife like it's like there's four different personalities there's the asshole there's the this there's that there's the whatever like it kind of helps like you're not alone like it's like the the way that she's describing and there could you know if somebody is going through this and they read this novel maybe it's gonna be too close to actually do anything but like it feels like it helps you understand what's happening in a way right like it's it's empathetic even though she's doing it to like kind of not out her mom but like manipulate her mom she's also like using it to help herself I think right yeah, for sure. She it's it's a place where she can speak honestly that she can't in the, in in the real world because if she were to say those things to her mom, it would seem insensitive. But as she's acting as one of her mother's peers, someone who is suffering through the exact same thing from the exact same position, it's easier to swallow. You can't take that from your daughter because your daughter is something someone that you're supposed to be taken care of on a moment-to-moment basis but if you're if you're speaking them like as an equal yeah you can convey that information in a way that might be helpful do you think what evie does on that forum and then evie and liz together is that net good or net bad i think that this is this is something i mean it's a huge part of the the overall argument of the text right is the ethics of online existence and the ways in which we treat our identities online um i think is it a net good or is it net bad if i were margo i would feel incredibly betrayed and i would have a very difficult time getting over it she doesn't seem we also okay 
So the novel ends where, like, they're all like, we're going to get through this together. By the end, like, all the dirty laundry, if you want to call it that, is aired, and Margot knows the things she's going to do that they're trying to steer her away from moving them out to a place in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, is, you know, averted, crisis averted. But it does feel like, in a way, the other shoe is going to drop when the novel, like, after the novel ends, right? Like, they have a lot of talking to do about, like, trust, privacy, something? Yeah. Um, I wonder if that is a problem that, this is not something that, that I that I thought of, Um when I was reading it, mm-hmm. but okay, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there in a second, but plot wise, let's just explain what happens further. Um, Margo wants to leave seaside once Brian dies. She wants to get out and she talks about this on the forum and Evie realizes that she is, uh, planning this. I mean, she's interacting with her as, as, a uh, under a fake persona. Um, she consults Liz on this and they start trying to think of ways to talk their mom out of it, which is ultimately basically unsuccessful until they send their mom the old emails to remind them of, of where she came from and who like the, the house that they built together and the family that they've created in this, in this town. Cause I think like the, the other thing to keep in mind is like they're, it's almost like the worst time for them to move because they're so close to being of legal age. Like they're so close to like being, you know, going off to college and like being out of that town, but like to, to be yanked out like a year or two before that, it's just like, this is the worst, you know, it's, it's a vulnerable. Yeah. I, it would be hard to be a senior in, in, in a new high school. That's right. the, that's like maybe the weirdest age to move. Right. It's just like, Oh, well we, this is normally when everyone graduates together and we all feel good together for a right. little while. We have the year where we party and have fun. But so it, it moves through that. They eventually talk their mom out of it. And then they go to Mount Airy Lodge, which I think is called like mountain airy something or other. Yeah. It's, it's not the actual, which is weird to me. Just to say Mount Airy Lodge. I don't know why I can't. Come on, Rundy. Yeah, get it together, Rundy. We never get the confrontation. Right. And so we don't know how that conversation goes. We don't know what the how they work it out, what they do to forgive each other. Um, you get the sense, I, I got the sense, that this family would have been okay no matter what. Had they moved to Pennsylvania, everything would have been all right eventually. Well, I think there's also something interesting about, like, Liz is so against... I think Evie is more against the move because she's got Olivia, she's younger, whatever, but it seems like Liz has her one good friend that no longer lives in Seaside, lives in, like, Florida or something, that flies in for the, the funeral and doesn't seem to have other friends. Like I think she... Is she just in Florida for the summer? Oh, maybe. Is that it? She might just be in Florida for the summer. Okay, that, that would make more sense. Then she, she has reason to stick around. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think the sisters have a good relationship with each other. In spite of all of this difficulty, they have a good relationship with the mom. Yeah, I think it's fa- family... I think they're, like, a healthy family. And all this lying that happens in here complicates things, but it's not unworkoutable. And I'm wondering if the way that it ends, are we punting on the hard stuff? I think so. But I think the whole book has been to a certain extent hard stuff. That's a good point. And I think it's like, they're going to be okay. They've got work to do, but they're going to be okay because, and I don't know who explicitly said this, the mom goes to Pennsylvania because she, she Googles best small towns in America finds this place, envisions a whole future for her daughters, that Liz is going to work at this diner on the weekends or whatever, become prom queen, blah, 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 blah. Evie's got this, that, whatever thing. Like She's like, this is, this is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful, small town America. They're going to know our order. When we walk in, it's going to be wonderful. 
and she drives. She's like going to New York to meet up with my aunt or your your, your aunt or whatever. Which is again, I think that sort of thing is sort of in some ways inexcusable. I mean, it's ultimately forgivable because it's a mom, and you can forgive your mom for a lot. Well, because she thinks she's doing the right thing for her family. Yeah, but it's like the lies are not necessary, but they feel necessary in the moment because you feel like you're protecting someone or you're protecting yourself from having a hard conversation right. that you know you'll eventually have to have. But when that was happening, I was like, "Come on, Margot." I feel like that's when the, the girls are also like, come on, Margot. They, they go, yeah. they're like, we are, I am Scrabble Mary 45. Uh, we need to talk. And she's like ignoring all that. She goes out, says this bed and breakfast. She's like, I love it here. This is wonderful. Oh, in my head, by the way, Scrabble Mary 45 is a Trump person. Oh, yeah, 45. Every that, Trump's like 45. I'm just like, <laughs> like, like, I was like, oh, she's like really hard landing it up. Yeah. She's like, uh, although Scrabble Mary 45 is Seattle. from Seattle. Yeah. Definitely didn't vote for Trump. Well, maybe. Didn't she's not wearing a red hat in Seattle though? I can tell you that much. She's she's hiding it underneath whatever Starbucks she's drinking and space needling she's going yeah. to. But the mom, but Margot goes to middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And she falls in love with it. She's like, I see this whole future here. And then I think it's when she gets the emails and when she hears from the daughters again, and she goes to this house and she realizes we need to stay. She lowballs the offer, gets rejected. They're not going to negotiate. She's like, all right, I'm going home. Yeah, to be with my daughters, to love my daughters, to heal from the wounds that they've given me and that I've given them. And we need to learn how to grieve together and we need how to le- we need to learn how to be a family unit with- without Brian. Yeah. And they go on a little mini vacation together and then come back. Yeah. That's basically the end of the novel. That's the end of the I guess the story. There's other stuff like, you know, Gabe comes back, is shitty, there might be something there. Evie gets together with Olivia. That's happy. Like, there's a nice happy end for her. Yeah. A lot of the... I'm trying not not to repeat myself because we have the interview next next week. And I I don't want to just repeat a bunch of the shit that I said during, during the interview, so... Stay tuned. Yeah. What are, what are your final, what are the final thoughts on, on the shore? I think I'll, I'll say, first of all, as someone who, from the Jersey shore, uh, it felt like a accurate depiction of the way that summer, what, what's that? Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Accurate depiction of the way that summer, uh, feels functions there. Um, what, you know, it's alienating in some ways because you have to serve all these people that come and, yeah. and you resent them yeah. you're like it's it's like a very parasitic relationship because you're just like man i wish these people wouldn't come here but then if they didn't come here there would be no economy. there would be no economy to this right. to the shore town um so it did you know it's it, it's accurate to to you know my experience of, of the Jersey shore it's a very lived-in novel you can feel that katie rundy sort of moved through these these situations in her own personal life we should have asked Katie Rundy in the interview that you will hear next week. We asked uh, Beth Morgan last week about surfing, but this this is the second book in a row, not really in a row, but now in a row, where somebody learns how to surf, that oh, yeah, learns how right. to surf from Gabe. It's just like, what is going on here? That's right. Yeah. we have not. I don't really have anything specific to say about it, but I think that the funeral wake reception scenes are probably like my favorite stuff overall in the book. I just feel like it feels very... This isn't in the interview. Like I have not dealt with this kind of loss. Like I've lost grandparents and stuff, but not like a parent yet but i so i haven't like had the same kind of thing but i i've been in situations like that where like the vibe and the mood and whatever and it just felt very off not to say that the rest didn't but like i know this to be true i just felt like the experience of being in a room with these people for the specific purpose and like how you want to leave you can't leave and you're trapped and blah 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 like it felt very well written yeah i'll say um it's uh i think like not really my kind of novel to be honest, 
Like this is not the type of book that I normally read. Mm-hmm. It's not that I think like it also the cover of the book makes it seem like it's like a rollicking fun time at it's, the shore. It's like a Ferris wheel and like you know, the lights it's, all lit up on the boardwalk. It's really, really pulling you into to a pretend good time novel that it then it's like but like by page two you're just like, Oh, I've been had. Yeah. This is a cancer book and a death book. It is really well written though. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't normally read these kinds of books uh it's like a formal i think formally elegant um in a way that like is uh structured um it's very structured and like hits like very specific uh emotional beats in a way that's really emotionally cathartic i mean you know my penchant for the non-ending yeah, my penchant for leaving the tension there right. and and allowing it to exist. I don't know what that looks like in this in this kind of book. Well, because I think this book is what this book has to do is Brian dies at some point. He dies. As he also much, has to die in the middle. It can't be a book right, where he where, where he dies at the end and then we're and then we're left with with uh, parsing the the before grief into the after grief, right? right. So it has to be structured. It has to be bisected by a death. And then the drama, the real drama, is not around the death, but around the relationship between the mother and the two daughters, mm-hmm. which, you know, we, I said in the interview that um, it's a book without antagonists. But if you if you look at it in like a traditional storytelling sense, uh, Evie and Liz are the, are the protagonists and the mom is the antagonist because she is trying to do the thing that changes their lives and they're trying to do like in in their journey we're rooting for them to prevent the mom from making them move so like very traditionally margo is the antagonist of this book and evie and liz are the are the protagonists let's read egg's email the egg meg's reacting to the shore the shore is okay it was a relatively quick read, but I don't think there was anything special about it. I like that Evie's story didn't get turned into a tragedy and things seemed to work out with Olivia, which we talked about a little bit. I didn't like how hard on Margot the book was. I'm harder on Margot, I think, than the book. Well, no, maybe I'm not. Well, the book is also told from her perspective, so I feel like at least a well, third no, of the book. From... A third I mean, of the book. Yeah, sure. Okay. We know what she's we know why she's doing what she's doing. Yeah. I think if you think the book is hard on Margot, you just disagree with her decision. Yeah, fair. Her daughters were forgiven for essentially snooping on her. If I were Margo, I probably would not have felt comfortable enough to post on that forum again. Evie and Liz effectively cut off her support system in a way I sh- that I think should have had more consequences. Even one fight. All the conflict in the book was internal. I kind of think that it could have been u- or could have used one external fight to release some pressure and feel like something was getting fixed rather than just putting a band-aid over it, which I feel is like what we this talked is, about. Yeah, yeah, this is actually... But, but I, I'm, I'm conflicted about that, right? Because like... I skew towards the non-ending. I don't want that tension dismissed. I don't know how long that tension exists in their lives. There's like 100% a chance that the events of this novel result in a massive fuck you fight when they're all 40. Yeah. Right? And at 40 and 60 or 70 or whatever. Like, I think that's a real... Well, is Margot getting mad at them, right? They're not going to get mad at her. Or do you think they're going to get mad at her? I, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, people are wounded in, during these times and kids, you know, internalize things in, in, in weird ways. But I think Margot definitely has a right to be mad at them. Sure. But, but like the tension exists, I think, and stretches that like that's a structural technique, leaving that tension there because you're not going to 
cure that, right? That's a wound that lasts forever. Um, you can forgive it, but it's still something that, you know, it gets brought up at Thanksgiving when someone gets drunk or something like that. Yeah. Um, See, all, they're all big drinkers in this novel. That's true, actually. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, did we? Nope. Lots of drinking. Underage drinking, and Margot's even just like, yeah, so when Liz loses her virginity to Gabe, she comes home to the mom, and Margot's like, gives her a little bit of wine. Yeah, this is like, no, I, I actually, I don't, I mean, the amount of drinking in this book is pretty typical for teenagers, right? I don't think that's anything. Not this teenager. Yeah, I mean, me, I didn't drink either, but. I'm a square peg, man. I saw a lot of. Especially down the shore, I feel like it's like, there's, and I don't know, I don't know that this is necessarily true. This is maybe an outsider's perspective, but I feel like when you're around vacationers all the time, there is probably like a, almost like it feels like there's permission in a way. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like everyone else is drinking. Well, maybe during the summer. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. There was a lot of, a lot of drinking and drug use in my high school though. I mean, it's not, I feel like there is in every high school. Probably. I liked Liz's story, Egg says, even though there was an implication of the sadness to come. She ga- she set Gabe up to fail by not being open with him about her dad. I don't know if he said it. I don't, mm, maybe. Which is fine. You have to do whatever makes you comfortable. But I would not place the burden of the breakup on Gabe. Liz is clearly traumatized by the death of her father, but by putting walls up around herself, she's not getting closer to healing. Yeah. Brian himself felt like he came out to be a villain at the end of it. The only aspect of his character that I remember from before he got sick was that he cheated on his wife. He didn't, though. It's an emotional cheat. It counts. Well, no, because he, she, I think one of them at least says it's not. Or maybe it's him. Maybe that's his justification. <laughs> I'm not cheating. Maybe that was intentional, but it also made me feel, made him feel a little one-dimensionally. He served just to be antagonist for poor Margot. Well, you think there's no antagonist. I think Margot's the antagonist. All in all, Egg says. All in all. The book was okay. I like the writing style, but the story itself didn't stand out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that this... Again, it's a it's a book that falls into a there are a lot of cancer and and grief stories and I think this one is articulated in a way that is very real. Um it feels really really realistic to me. Anything that would be quote unquote special, like I, I I'm not really, I'm not sure what special means really, but I think would be something that was like if this book really tried to push it formally speaking like it's very it's very hard to have a new take on a genre that is about a parent dying um what you can hope for in it is uh solace and like togetherness of understanding right you have i guess the unique thing about this book is the internet aspect of it that's the thing that that stands out to me not just because we're analyzing it from that point of view but like when meg says it doesn't it doesn't feel special I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I, 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 I'm not sure what that means. Well, I think that there is, I don't know what that exactly means either, but I think that similarly to campus novels all last season, or mm-hmm. like for Too Fast, Too Forever, our Fast and Furious podcast that I do, we're doing all heist movies. Like at its core, a heist is a heist. A campus novel is a campus novel. A story about a cancer-ridden parent is a story about a cancer-ridden parent. It's like how you take, like there's no new stories in a certain way, right? It's just how you tell the story what you blend with it. And I think you're right. I think the internet, the the thing that's unique about this is the support group and the duality and sort of the subterfuge or manipulation or whatever within that kind of thing, yeah. right? So 
I mean, how many books are there probably about a dying or dead well, parent? Okay, so I think I think maybe what Meg is asking for is a more formally inventive novel, um, which makes sense to me. I, I understand that criticism because it because sure. this falls very much into like it slots into a genre pretty pretty nicely. Yeah, but I, I think that there is something. This is going to sound like a backhanded compliment, I think, but like in an internet module where there's probably a lot of younger writers writing specifically the books you picked that we've already covered and that I know that are coming more sort of whatever, like more daring. I think there's something nice. There's something about more traditional, but with newer elements. Yeah. There's a juxtaposition of styles that, that we're, that we're going for here for sure. Right. So thank you for writing an egg. Sorry. You didn't like the book that much, but if you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me and we'll read it on the next episode. Fantasy casting. Do you think of anybody? Oh, uh, n- no, not really. It's not something that, that occurred to me. I I guess maybe because uh, I'm so yeah, I'm used to him playing these kinds of roles now as Brian Cox as Brian. But that's too old. How old are so they were in college in 96, yeah. right? So they're probably born like 76 or like 45 ish ish. So yeah, something like that. I was picturing she's too old again. Like the daughters, it's the same thing we have the campus novels that they're 16, 17, you kind of have to cast like unknowns. But I was picturing Margaret Qualley as Liz. Okay. Not that it means anything, but, you know, you would probably have people who we don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a you know, there's like three or four people around that age or that can play that age that really knock it out of the park, like Caitlin Deaver. I was thinking Caitlin Deaver for Evie, but she's also probably like 24 or something. You know uh, yeah, I mean? probably older than that even. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard. It's always it's always hard. I'm trying to think, like I didn't even I didn't even think about Margot as casting, which I feel like I should have. Because... I didn't I didn't think of this novel as a book at all or as a movie at all, which is weird because it feels like it's a very it would be a very natural translation yeah. in, into a movie yeah. or, or a TV show like one of those uh, Nicole Kidman shows, Nine Perfect Strangers, all those. Uh, uh Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. I texted Matt earlier. Our cover art analyst i want to get the exact wording because he did basically a dad joke i was like are you around for book cover talk tonight and he says <laughs> he says we're meeting another couple for dinner out so yes <laughs> and then he says no jk no <laughs> but that's a real that's like pretty funny. please take my wife yeah. please so that's he's not funny. around but uh shout out to matt he'll be back at some point you know whatever um we're on twitter at lottery pod patreon.com slash lottery pod keep reading yeah today's crime is uh moving into joey's house and living here while he tries to kick you out we come on this loop john b my grandfather